Hello and welcome to Living Heritage, a show about people who are engaged in the heritage and culture sector, all those who keep history alive at the community level. I'm Tara Barrett, ICH researcher with Heritage NL. On today's episode, we talk with Megan Sams and Jane Walker, who are participants of Heritage NL's Mentor Apprentice Program. Mentor Megan Sams has worked with textiles since she was a child, but her main focus over the past 10 years has been hand weaving. Over her career, she has attended artist residencies and dedicated full-time studio hours, which have allowed her to fine-tune her craft. Each piece of her work is unique, and Megan uses plant dyes that she grows or forages locally to color the yarns she uses in her textiles. With a particular interest in working with the linear structure of burlap and linen, apprentice Jane Walker has been practicing the art of rug hooking for several years. Upon noticing the correlation between rug hooking and weaving, Jane has been keen to advance her knowledge of weaving. Hi, Megan and Jane, and welcome to the show. Hi. Very glad to have you here. Um, So just to start off, I was wondering if you could both give me just a little bit of background on yourselves, um, where you grew up, kind of how you came into crafting in particular. So um, Megan, if you want to start, and then Jane, perhaps you can follow. Sure. I am from Gadalisk or Cadre Valley. I came into handmaking at a pretty young age. My mom's a sewer quilter and clothing maker and I learned to spin yarn from my godfather hockey gale or edwin gale um when I was about seven between seven and eight years old and I learned to knit from my mom and godmother jardine gale and I've been uh make and making in some capacity since since then uh between knitting and weaving and natural dyeing and painting and drawing and they all all of those pieces are uh, part of a whole for me. So I grew up in Portugal Cove, St. Phillips. Um, I also grew up around uh, crafters. My pop is a uh, master carpenter. Um, he had me in the wood shop since I was a little, little girl. And my aunts and other grandmother also like always had handmade things around. Um, so I quite comfortable with it growing up. I went to art school in Cornerbrook and um, I guess the faculty member that I felt the most affinity with, uh, Barb Hunt, was a textile artist. And so I really gravitated towards her and towards integrating craft within my visual arts practice, um, which has continued ever since. So I'm a visual artist who uses craft within my art practice. And um, when the opportunity to work with Megan and to learn weaving came up, I mean, it was kind of a conversation that we'd been having before that anyway. So I jumped on it and I'm really excited to kind of get this kind of technical training that I didn't really have in an art school setting and kind of learning to integrate that into my creative practice as a whole. And what was it about weaving in particular that drew you to it? Um, for me, I, I'm, I've done a lot of rug hooking. I've been really attracted to the structure of rug hooking, which is on a woven surface, the grids and the way you can kind of just like, I, I think in that kind of linear structural way when I'm thinking about designs for my art. And I think you can really see that in past rug hooking work. I'm I'm not a rug hooker that just freestyles all over the grid. I'm like, here's the line. Mm. This is where the line is going to be. So I think that was like just a starting point to how I could envision 
moving into being a weaver. I'm still a little baby weaver, but um, yeah, I guess I could like see my work transferring into woven structure in a pretty organic way. And Megan, how about yourself? How did you come to weaving? What what drew you to weaving in general? I'm a really tactile person. I'm constantly touching things and it, the, yeah, drape and texture really matters to me and day to day, but in my, inside my art practice as well, it's, it's, I'm, I gravitate to that. And, uh, I, I was, of spinning a lot of yarn and I knit every day and um a family friend of my husband's family gave me a loom and I had seen looms before I'd been around them there was one weaver in the valley when I was growing up that I visited with a little bit and and I thought they were really amazing instruments but I had no idea I didn't understand them and so she gave me this loom and I thought there's a huge responsibility to learn how to use this. This is a pretty big gift. <clears throat> and, uh, and I had already, you know, my practice and work was already quite informed by textiles. And I was painting a lot at that time. And as soon as I started weaving, I took the loom with me to a wildfire lookout that I was living and working on at the time learned how to weave over that summer. And I was captivated. I stopped painting for three years, two, three years, something like that. I, I just was completely taken by, yeah, the structure and the line and the form and the function of textiles. And, and shortly after maybe I was weaving for a year or two, I learned that uh, my great, great grandmother was a weaver too. And I knew my grandmother was a spinner and a sewer and a knitter. And now I have that, that very old loom that I'm trying to piece back together, but it just, it felt really uh, old and embedded in our family. And like, it felt like, it felt like the right thing to do with my hands. And I took to it really, really qu quick. Like I taught myself out of a book at the fire tower and, and then, you know, kept weaving for a few years was just exploring structures and trying to learn or I was learning the, the function and kind of suited characteristics to different fibers and how floats behave in a cloth. And then I went to the Kootenai School of Arts for uh, two semesters of studio time and learned a lot there, like in terms of efficiency and yeah, saving time and not skipping crucial steps. And my next question, I think, is is probably going to be a difficult one because I know that a woven product can be many things. But um, for somebody who doesn't know what weaving is, what is weaving? Like, what is the process, I guess? It's cloth making. It's one of many forms, ways of making a textile, making cloth. If, you know, most many of the pieces of cloth around us are either knitted or woven and then at times felted or hide leather. That, that's textile work too, but weaving is a form of organizing threads, a series of them rising and a series of them sinking with interlocking weft threads um, to make something structural and functional, um, also beautiful. <laughs> the, you know, all of our, like wallpaper used to be always woven. Wallpaper agricultural grain sacks and vegetable bags and all clothing 
industrial use textiles are woven there's they're all around us all the time do you have anything to book add to covers that? yeah book covers had a textile on them that's right I'm I'm loving this I you know I knew about kind of the more um, I guess water known ones but I didn't know that wallpaper was woven that's fascinating um, book covers yeah I can see that I think but yeah wallpaper that's an interesting one um, currency there's a lot of currency across the world that was originally a woven in Canada, the, the first Canadian currency paper, like uh, bills were linen fabric. Sorry. Um, no, no, that's quite interesting. Um, my other question is, and again, this one might be like a difficult one. And um, maybe Jane, if you want to start off with this one and then Megan, you can respond as well. Um, what makes a good woven product? I'm probably not the first one that should answer that, but um well, something that I'm working on right now in my apprenticeship is like for the first little while I was kind of sampling and freestyling a little bit with the weft and like not really measuring. And now I feel like I'm at a point where I really want to understand how to make a technically consistent piece of cloth. So that involves like measuring it while it's on the loom, measuring when it comes off, measuring when it comes out of the wash and like being consistent when you're making a product line. That's something that while I'm here with Megan in the Valley is something I feel is really important part of the apprenticeship because when I go home and when I'm working on my own, like I can see myself slipping back into kind of more art weaving and freestyling, but I want to have those core skills. Like I'm making products right now. I'm making table linens. I'm going to make a blanket next and I like crave those technical skills that I felt I didn't really get in an art school context. So that's something really special about the education part of the mentorship for me. And on to Megan, what's a good cloth? What's a, <laughs> what's a good piece of weaving? When I was first learning weaving, I was really wanted, I was in the same boat as you, Jane. I wanted to know how many ends per inch were industry standard and what makes this really good cloth and sturdy and meets its function is also beautiful multi-purpose in my work I like pieces to be multi-purpose and a bit fluid in their nature but I wanted like technical execution and I still weave a lot that way but I leave always at least one yard on every warp that is just play just to see what happens. What if I do this? And what if I change a color here and a color there? And I think that is also what makes really good cloth, continual exploration mm -hmm. and play and breaking rules. But I think it, before you get there, it's also very important to know the technicalities and that, and it, it drives me creatively when I have limitations. Mm -hmm. And try to work within them and then realize how to go around them or through them or whatever. So, but technically speaking, good cloth has, it meets its function. You mm -hmm. know, a washcloth, you might want to be a little looser so that air moves through it and it dries and it isn't stinky. Um, a good blanket, you want to be a little more dense, but still have some loft so that it, the wind, the air doesn't move through it, but it keeps you very warm. So, I think if we're not thinking about function and then sustainability, are we using fibers mm -hmm. that aren't made of oil and gas or plastics, then that that's something that makes a good cloth to function, sustainability, 
beauty. Yeah. And so my next question is kind of, I guess, related to that. What skills and knowledge are necessary for weaving? Skills and knowledge, tactility, handwork, calculate, like skills of like calculating. It's all very mathematical. It's more mathematical than I expected. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of calculating. So the, and that's a skill. That's a learned skill. That's something you, you know, you, you want to make cloth, you learn it. Um, it's also very physical. Didn't yeah. expect the physicality and even the, like, this isn't really a skill, but like, I'm used to really quiet textile crafts. And then like you get into start weaving and it's like, jump, bam, good jump, bam. <laughs> <laughs> it's really intense. It's hardcore, more hardcore than I expected. <laughs> My abs hurt sometimes. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so it is physical and even the act, just getting your warp made, making the warp is almost, it's dance-like, isn't it? And then putting it on the loom is a whole other thing. You have to, you beat the warp, at, like you have to smack the tension and carry it through and wind that on your loom. So there's the physical aspect, the calculating technical aspect, design, aesthetic. It's well-rounded. Yeah. <laughs> And you talked a little bit, I, I want to kind of ask about what materials you use. I know you mentioned the loom, you just mentioned um, getting your warp. So can you walk us through, I, I guess, kind of uh, the process to making something woven? How do you start? You have to start by planning your warp. So the math comes first. <laughs> Get it out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> and then once you've calculated how many ends you need to create, um, your warp, then you have to wind, wind your warp on the warping board. And basically the warp is the lengthwise fiber that goes onto the loom. So you need to make sure that it's long and wide enough for to make what you wanna make. So after the math comes the winding and then you have to dress your loom. And then you're good to go, I think. Yeah. then you just weave it. But I would also say the very first step is defining like what you want to do and what structure you want to use and what moved you to make it so that you can design it in a meaningful way. Then you calculate <laughs> how many ends you need in that warp. Yeah, make it as wide as you want the piece and as long as you need to make the number of pieces, giving yourself room to play at the end. And then, um, yeah, and then you dress the loom you weave the cloth, then you take the cloth off the loom, cut it, hem it, wash it, press it, then it's done. <laughs> I want to ask a little bit about the apprenticeship. So um, I know you said that this was something like, I guess this one-on-one -on -one work was something that you guys were talking about in advance, but um, how did the apprenticeship, how is it going? Like how, you know, from the start, finding out about it, how is the process going? How are you enjoying it? What is it like to do this one-on-one? -on -one? It's kind of a difficult question to respond to. We've been very uh, fortunate with support from Heritage NL and also the Vanel Carfac Mentorship Program, which kind of focused more on visual art and idea development, but it overlapped really well with this opportunity to introduce like a new technical skill to my practice. And I think it added like a depth to our relationship. Um, as mentor mentee collaborators 
um, friends and just having the opportunity to be here in Megan's studio, not remote learning, mm -hmm. hands-on when I break a selvage and I'm like, God, I don't know what to do where I tangle something up. Like her hands are right there in there with me. So like that has been a, an amazing privilege to be here in person, learning in person because craft is such an in-person thing. I think like every craft that has stuck with me has been taught to me side by side, the person who knows how to do it. And we were chatting yesterday about mentorships, apprenticeships, and how like this feels like a start of a long relationship in terms of learning weaving. I know when I go home, I'm not going to know it all or even enough to teach it. Um, but it's a start and it's just like, it's incredible to have the depth of this kind of start. I think about like even being able to answer your question about like the steps to starting mm -hmm. weaving. Like I feel, I don't know. I feel really like I can see progress. And right now I'm like starting to kind of envision my own designs and use the weaving software and understand what happens when I am entering numbers into it. The first day I was worried. <laughs> I was worried. It was not clicking in my head. And I was like, oh my God, I did not sign up for a math apprenticeship. <laughs> um, but yeah, like to have this slow time to like ease into it has been really, really important and valuable. And like, I can't unlearn it at this point. You know what I mean? Like, it's not a disposable experience. Mm -hmm. That's a really good way of putting it. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> we were <t> we were talking yesterday too about the value of apprenticeship and that we that we both yeah it it's a big responsibility to be both mentor and mentee and we both take it very seriously and this is only a beginning like we've already kind of sketched out bigger collaborative projects and I I you know, I even, I do struggle a bit with mentor mentee, um, as a, as a structure. I, I believe in apprenticeship that it's, it's my favorite way of education and educating, but I see Jane as an equal and we have a lot of collaborative work on the go and a, an apprenticeship takes years and years, you know, it, like I think, um, uh, a protege or a mentee after they feel very confident that they can go and teach, that's when that's when it's sort of changes. And I know we're going to work together for a really long time and I will continue to, I will be available to Jane in any capacity for answering questions and helping learn structures or for the rest of my life, I'd say. Thanks. Yeah, girl. <laughs> Commitment. <laughs> Thank you. I accept. <laughs> you know, it's, but it is, it takes that it to, uh, to learn us. A, a, like I feel like a baby weaver in many respects. I'm, you know, over 10 years into it, but it's, that's, that's not much when it comes to learning a whole world of, of it, textile. It's like infinite. Yeah. And it's really clear that it's infinite when you start on that weaving software and it's like, oh my gosh, <laughs> like, yeah. Mm -hmm. 
And as you continue in, in your 20 years a weaver, 30 years a weaver, like I'll be 10 years behind you. <laughs> and you know, that's really fruitful. Yeah. It'll, it just keeps, it keeps going. I'd love to hear you both say that. Um, I did an interview yesterday and the, the pair also said something similar, you know, you know, like theirs was actually done, but they said, you know, they would always be there to answer questions or to, to field anything that came up. So I love that, that that's coming out of this. This is great. <laughs> yeah. And I know too, that as Jane's practice evolves, she's going to explore things that I've never, and I'm going to be asking her questions. I have a question for Megan. <laughs> How do you feel weaving with weaving being on the craft at risk list and with many or most of the materials not being available in Newfoundland and Labrador. How do you feel that this kind of change in access to materials and equipment and ways of life have impacted weaving on the craft at risk and probably the craft at risk list in general, more generally, probably other crafts on there are impacted by, by that same issue. Definitely. Uh, Lack of access to materials. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the Valley was once known as a place of weaving. Yeah. There were a fair few weavers around and with homemade barn looms, yeah. like the kind you find in old attics and barns and stuff that those are the looms that are from here. And that was a direct industry because of the wool mills. So they had supply right here and so could make a life and a living and carry on life ways with the tool of the loom. And they're, yeah, they're directly related, like with industrialization and outsourcing of fleece. It's it's still cheaper to send fleece, linen, and hemp to China than it is to have it processed in Canada. Um, some companies are still doing it despite that but yeah it's certainly I'm sure that's part of a big reason why weaving is at risk is if you can't get the materials and they've become expensive or hard to find yeah what are you gonna do and like like you started weaving because of a gift yeah you wouldn't necessarily have sought out weaving otherwise probably without like that initial yeah gift and investment in you as a weaver yeah and because by the time I I got a loom there were none left here yeah so I wouldn't have stumbled across one yeah yeah locally yeah so it I think you know the bigger picture to carry on like craft is always a collaboration it's never in a vacuum. There's never one person making the piece. It's many hands to get one pot or one textile. And so without those other industries, regardless of scale, then the finished craft product doesn't exist. So yeah, yeah we need wool mills and we could have linen mills here too. Linen is, linen grows. There used to be more linen mills in on the mainland in Canada then there were wool mills, you know, mm-hmm. and it, we grow it every year in the garden, most years in the garden, just to have it around. Um, and it grows beautifully. 
So there's space and demand (laughs) and necessity to keep, to keep each craft going. Mm -hmm. It's inefficient. It's, it's unsustainable to keep, to keep ordering your materials from so far. And right now it's the op, the only option, but it's not, it's not, it's not the forever solution. And Megan, you mentioned your, your yard or or kind of growing linen there. Um, Can you explain kind of um, where you're situated and what, what your space is like? Our farm, our small farm is called Tuckaway Farm Apiary and Apothecary. It's in Millville, Cutter Valley, Southwest Coast. And the farm is all solar powered, including the loom shed. I know it completely varies depending on what you're making, but roughly how long does it make some, does it take to make something woven? a woven product yeah so it's every step takes a certain amount of time based on what you're doing so for example um if you're making something wider on the loom that's gonna take a longer time to wind your warp and it's also gonna take a longer time to dress your loom so every single end you have to thread and slay and make sure that it's in the right Um, on the right shaft so it's a lot of just double checking and making sure so if you're for example just making a skinny little piece it's going to be a lot quicker to do than if you are making a really wide piece Um, when you're going when you're weaving it I guess it's not that much longer depending on I guess the length the width is what would take the biggest difference yeah um, but again, like if you have a really, really long warp, that's going to take you a lot longer to weave than a little baby warp. So it were like super project dependent. And then also your experience as a weaver, my first couple dishcloths took me forever. <laughs> and my last one, I just like whipped through. Yes. That's what I was just thinking. I was, yeah. I was impressed and proud. <laughs> your last warp was like, I think you finished it in a day. Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was good. But now you're working on a longer one, so yeah. a few days. <laughs> Why is this tradition important? Why do you think it's important for weaving to continue in the province? I think for me, just like learning about weaving from square one, it's been a big realization and I've been noticing, I've just been noticing textiles in my life more. I've been noticing my clothes. I've been noticing how they feel, if they're knit, if they're woven. Um, and it's given me just more awareness about like how reliant we are on imports and cheap textiles. And it's like, you know, it's like something, you know, you're like, okay, fast fashion. Yeah. But then when you like get into the weaving process and realize, yeah, it takes a year to make a piece of cloth and anything less than that is like, what's going on. Mm. Um, I think it's important for people to be connected with the food they eat, the clothes they wear, the structures around them, because like, it's so easy to lose sight of that. And it's made easy to lose sight of that. So Mm -hmm. for me, it's like, I don't know if this is answering your question at all, but like, for me, it brings, like, it brings meaning to my life to know Mm -hmm. what I'm surrounded by and like, be part of that. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think handmade things are a response to our place in the world and what we need 
and what we want and and the things we use to have our days and culture and and uh so if we're not making them who is and how is that impacting our life ways and what we do with our time Mm -hmm. that's part of it too like I agree with everything you just said it it hits me I think that's about it for my question do you have anything that you wanted to add I'll just add this because we were talking about it a couple days ago that I think having the craft at risk apprentice program and like investing in this way in craftspeople and and apprenticeships I think is a really powerful way to revive crafting like I feel a really strong responsibility to keep weaving thanks so much to you both You've been listening to the Living Heritage Podcast, a co-production of Heritage NL and CHMR Radio at Memorial University. You can find previous episodes on iTunes or wherever you download podcasts. We're on Twitter at HFNLCA. Do you have a question or a suggestion about an aspect of culture and heritage you want us to explore? Send us your mail and we'll do our best to answer it in an upcoming show. Email us at livingheritagepodcast at gmail.com. Our theme music is by Lache Swing. Thanks for listening.